0: In the following live session recording,
1: Steve Parr, Vice President for Staff Coordination, Georgia Baptist Mission Board, leads the session entitled, Reaching Students Amidst Generational and Cultural Change. Did you know that Generation Z now makes up about
0: one fourth of the U.S. population? They are not millennials, but how are they different? What are they experiencing and how can you reach them? For the answers, let's join Steve now. How many of you, how many of you are student pastors, raise your hand, student pastors? Children's pastors, senior pastors, volunteer with children, volunteer with the students, say other. <laughs> uh,
1: what's the other thing? I, I don't know what I mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Education, anything else? What else? Yeah, Family and Discipleship. Family stops you up. Anything else? Okay. Very good. I, you know, because what i going to talk about, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, if it's student pastors, uh, you can probably teach it, you know, because you live there. And uh, i I'm, I tell you what, at this stage of my life, I think of... Uh, Psalm 71, says, When I'm old and gray, Lord, do not forget me. And I will declare your works to the next generation. And it's, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's essentially you know, where my heart is. Uh, I think we have a responsibility for all generations. Uh, I'm not here to pitch anything, but people ask me about it, so I'm going to spend two to three minutes on why they stay. You may not be familiar, but I'll tell you this quick thing about it. Uh, I'm the father of three daughters, and my story is one of my daughters really struggled with her faith. And so, what I did was, with a lot of young adults walking away from the church and struggling with my daughter, uh, trying to nail down what's going on there, a lot is being written about why we're losing young adults today. And I- I'm kind of glasses half full type person, more optimistic look. So, I engaged a friend of mine who's a research specialist named Tom Kreitz. And we did a national study of young adults aged 26 39, multi denominational. As those, and come, well, they all grew up going to church. The question is, what kept them there? Instead of studying why people are leaving the church, we studied those who grew up in the church and are still there and asked, why did they stay? Instead of why they left. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Good to see you. Come on in. So I was just talk about, uh, real quick, two or three minutes about the book. It's not why I'm here, but people ask me about it. Talking about why they stay. We did a national research project, young adults who grew up in church, asking why they stay. So when I'm speaking on this subject, here's how I ask the question. How many of you want your children, your grandchildren, students in your group not only to come into faith in Christ, but you want to know that they are faithfully serving Christ in a local church when they're 35, 45 and beyond? Say amen. 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 That's what that book's about. Now, I'm not here to tell you, but if you want to, I'll, I'll tell you how you can do that when we get done, but that's not why I'm here. I'll tell you how you get free stuff. If you can go to stevepar.net, that's my first name my last name. Steve Par. P-A-R. Steve Par.net. You can click on the Why They Stay tab, and I do eight 30-minute sessions for parents on what keeps your kids connected to church and to their adult lives. So you mentioned about your last session about working with your parents. Here's a good way you can do that. You can use this in a Bible study group like on Sunday mornings. You can do it in a retreat setting. You can do it on, on, on you know, eight Thursday nights in a row. And it is free. free. It doesn't cost you a dime. As a matter of fact, when you see that series, you can watch it one at a time. You can turn your parents on to it. They watch it on their own. Or you can do it in a setting. But when you do it in a setting, it's 30 minutes for a reason. It gives you another 30 minutes, hour long, to do discussion time and debrief. There's downloadable discussion questions and fill in the blanks for my session. And, and we go through all of that more thoroughly than I could do ever in a seminar. So it's really good. So uh, steveparr.net. And while you're there, if you go to the media tab, you can see sermons I'm preaching. And there's a couple sermons there while I'm speaking at major conferences on this subject for church leaders. So you can find that also. As a matter of fact, I was speaking in Louisiana a couple years ago, so it was recorded. Uh, it's some of our Louisiana friends here. So anyway, I wanted to know about that, but let me tell you one more thing aside from that, and they retail $17.95, you can have it 10 bucks if you want it, but you don't have to buy the book because it's online, but there's things on here not online and things online not in the book, but you can download it on Kindle, whatever you want to do. Uh, but as I've been doing this the last three years, the most common question I'm getting is, Steve, I've got a a child who's not an adult, not a kid, but my my son, my daughter, grew up in church and and they left. How do you get them back? We didn't study that, but we have now. We just did and completed a national study. Again, not a Georgia study. National multi-denominational study. They grew up in church, had left at least two years, and made it back. And so we're going from why they strayed to when they strayed. What do you do when they stray? And uh, I'm just now preparing my first sermon based on, first the exposition, certainly, but also integrating the research that we discovered. And so we'll be releasing between now and January that research. And here's the end of the story. I told you I had three kids, and one was out of church when I wrote that book, right? And so that's bothering me. I'm trying to figure it out. Why do they stray? The daughter who was out of church tomorrow will be teaching Sunday school. She's in a... uh, She's there every week. Uh, her husband's there every week. Her daughter's there every week. She's on a team in our church for uh, help uh, unwed mothers. She goes to every business meeting. She's all in. She's back. So isn't it great how God works in my life as I'm doing this? Actually, we about those who are leaving. We've got my daughter back now. When they stray, what you do. And so I've learned a lot personally, but also the research is very helpful. And you'll appreciate it. So be watching for that. And you can find that kind of stuff on steveparr.net. But that's not the reason you're here today. You're here to talk about Gen Z, reaching students amidst cultural and generational change. And my subtitle will be The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly because we're going to talk about young adults, specifically, when I say young adults, college age, high school and middle school, and some of what they're experiencing and what they're like. And see if we can get a handle. And you're going to help me. I'm not going to talk for an hour and 15 minutes. You're going to talk to me some too because I don't have a corner on this market. We're going to see how we need to respond as pastors, as education pastors, as student pastors, children's leaders, volunteers. How to respond to the changing climate because they are not baby boomers. I'm a baby boomer. They're far removed from my generation and how I grew up. And you probably know that already. But let's just find some things out to kind of kick it off here. Now, I want you to notice this picture on the left. Notice this calm stream here. This was my faith experience as a child. I went from this side to this side and made it just fine. And the current, when I walked across, it did push against me, okay? So it was there. And I had some peers who didn't make it across. They slipped and fell. Or the current, just there was a slippery rock and they didn't make it. But by and large, most of my peers made it across. But today, when I was 14, that's what happened to me, okay? Here's what a 14-year-old has to cross today compared to me growing up as a baby boomer. The cultural and spiritual climate is pushing much more extremely against their faith than it pushed against me. And you'll find that as we begin to study Gen Z. And so, uh, you, some of you guys who are student pastors, you're doing as good or better job than I did and you're reaching fewer. And it's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's not because you're doing anything bad. Uh, it'll blow, it, I'm going to blow your doors for a second. Okay. We're going to look at it later, and I'm going to get ahead on this kind of it self-stressing. The average number of teen baptisms in a Georgia Baptist church. There's 3,600 Baptist churches. How many would you think the average Baptist church baptized last year? The average number of teenagers a Georgia Baptist church baptized last year. Now it's a guess, unless you've heard this before. Three, but a three is a good guess. Everyone guess. Take two more, get three. Somebody else give me a guess. Average number that a Georgia Baptist church baptized last year? Three or what else? You're just guessing, so there's no wrong answer. Five. Five. I got three and a five. Give me one more. Is it higher or lower?
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not going to say. It. Ten. I'll take, I'll take the under. Three, five, and ten. Okay. Three, five, and ten. It's under. Ten. The average is one per church. Oh, okay. So I was a student pastor during the 80s and 90s For some of you were even around. You know what I'm saying? And uh, into the early 2000s, then my ministry began to change and my focus and what I do and when i was a student pastor we baptized several years running over a hundred teenagers a year boom 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 and you look at me i'm not mr cool i'm not at all i'm anything (laughs) but i'm square i really am you know but how is it we're baptizing so many teenagers That's another story for another day but i'm just saying churches aren't doing that and if i were a student pastor it wouldn't be happening today it's not the the environment is different the culture has changed And I'm not going to say it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But it is much more of a challenge today uh, than it was when I was coming up. But now, it's true that the cultural climate pushed against us. And it is tougher to be a teenager today than it was when I was growing up in many ways. Culturally, it's tougher. Mm -hmm. Spiritually, it's tougher. Okay? But that don't mean I had it easy. Okay? Because my parents tried to kill me. For those of you who are under age 30, how many of you under age 30, raise your hand. Okay, you'll, I gotta tell y'all something. You got it tough, okay, I know you do. And it's been tough. But it was tough for me in other ways. Not spiritually, but my parents tried to kill me. Did y'all know that? Yeah. See, when I was growing up, we never wore seatbelts. Never even thought about it. Never, never, never crossed our minds. I lived here in Georgia. We'd load up to go to Orlando and I ad hour drive and never wore a seat, but I'd play all over I'd lay in the back window. My mama never put me in a car seat. You know, it's just law not to have a child in a car seat, right? There was no such thing as a car seat when I was growing up. You know, you know, ladies, do y'all know where I was when I was a baby six months old and I was in a car do you know where I sat? Anybody any ladies know? Passenger. Where do you think I sat? Passenger seat.
1: Passenger
0: seat? Where do you think I sat? At six months old. The
1: floorboard.
0: You know where I was? I was in the front in my mama's lap. In the front seat where her smoking a cigarette with the windows up. That's where I was. Seriously. And nobody thought anything about it. That was the norm when I was going up. So they tried to kill me. My daddy bought me a motorcycle and never bought me a helmet. He tried to kill me. You know who my hero was back in my day? Evil. Evil Knievel. There you go. So I'm out with a motorcycle jumping ramps with no helmet on. My parents never even thought about buying me a helmet because they tried to kill me. You know what? Parents say, no, don't you?
1: I don't leave the yard. Don't leave the yard, honey you my
0: dad don't you leave the county son you stay, you stay 25 miles and you be back by thursday now okay and i'd leave my house in the morning and they wouldn't see me after dark and never even think anything about it you know it's crazy and today it's now, you know, eat healthy, honey. Watch what you eat. You know, I grew up with candy cigarettes and big leak chew bubble gums, what I grew up with. You know, that's crazy. So I, I got about a dozen things like that I can tell you. So our parents tried to kill us when we were growing up. Things have changed, haven't they? And you're going to see in a little bit some of the characteristics, how they've changed in terms of uh, Generation Z has been really affected by the way parents treat them and very safety conscious. It's not a bad thing necessarily. As a matter of fact, you know, so my subtitle a while ago was Good, Bad, and Ugly. I'm not here to get on to Gen Z. I mean, you are who you are. I'm here to just show you how they've unique, uniquely grown up and how their experiences has, has affected them. Okay? So, moving along here, our pressure to the from Here we go. Let me show you the average baptisms in Georgia. Last year we baptized an average of one teenager per church. The median number was zero. Now, to show you the difference, average means you take every church, their baptisms divide by 3,600 churches, and it's really 3,580 something. I'm using a round number. The media would be half the church baptized more and half baptized less. So i tell you right there. Half of our Georgia churches did not see a teenager saved and baptized last year. Is that not mind-boggling? Mm-hmm. I want to show you why mind-boggling, okay? How many of you came to personal faith in Jesus at age 19 and under? Raise your hand as I did. And look around here. Get a survey. It's almost unanimous. You can put your hand down. The best opportunities in the response to the gospel today are teenagers. Now, I just finished the interim pastor at a church and one of my last Sundays we baptized a man who was about 66, 67 years of age. Praise the Lord for that. That is very unusual. Most of our salvations come to those who are younger. Kids a little higher. The average is three. The median is one. Half baptized one or less, half baptized more than one. The average was three. And, and we're beginning to see in North America an erosion taking place. Now let me stop there for a second and tell you, did you know Christianity is growing worldwide? And did you know there's more Christians alive and breathing right now than there have ever been in the history of the world? And did you know that Christianity is the largest religion in the world by over a billion? Now, admittedly, not everybody's a born-again believer, but the largest faith system is Christianity by far. It is not the fastest-growing religion. That would be Islam at this point. That can change a decade from now. It had not always been true, but right now it is. Okay? So more Christians are alive and breathing. So while Christianity is expanding, here in North America, it's actually in a decline or an erosion. That's why John Dixon wrote a book called The Great Evangelical Recession. He's trying to dig down on what's going on, and immediately he identifies two things that are happening. He says, one thing is, students aren't responding to the gospel like in years past, and we're going to dig into that, okay? But the other side of it is we're now losing more students at graduation than we're keeping, which has never been true. And then I wrote these, I didn't realize that when I wrote this book, but that fits the subject right there, what keeps kids connected to church into their adult lives. Now, here's why I believe churches need to heavily focus on kids and teens. And when I preach, and let me tell you guys, I don't know how I look to you. I may look 95, I don't know this. But I'm in a unique place in my life, and I preach on this subject, and I can preach in a way I could not when I was 30 years of age on this subject. Now, just give you an example of this, when I'm preaching, I look at adults of all ages, and from my generation, and even seniors, and I will say this, for any church to grow older that means to still be in business 15 to 20 years now for any church to grow older it must be purposeful in seeking to grow younger mm. i've never seen a church survive without seeking to grow younger if you don't you'll grow older and you'll eventually run out of people you'll die so why do we focus on kids and teens because two-thirds of people who come to faith in christ will do so before they turn 13 years of age two-thirds wow Three-fourths will come to Christ before they turn 16 years of age. And and as I was coming up as a teenager, and in my youth ministry days in the 80s and 90s and into some of the 2000s, very early on, you know, people will come to Christ, uh, you know, at 16 to 17 and 18. But now, 17 and 18 is almost too late in some ways. Now, talk to me about why that is, do you suppose? Why is it tough to reach kids at 17, 18, 19 where it was easier when I was coming up? What's changed?
1: Like you said, they're looking ahead to even get away quickly. And so if you're starting at 7 or 18, you've got little or no time. before yeah. now they're not
0: even around. Yeah, they're growing up faster. And I say uh, a 14-year-old is not smarter than I was when I was 14. Their IQ is not, well, maybe higher than mine personally, but I'm saying that people in my generation, they're not smarter than my generation. They're not, they don't have a higher IQ in my generation, but they know more than my generation at 14 years of age. How is that possible?
1: Mm-hmm. The, internet,
0: the Internet. I asked my wife yesterday, a little I said, Carolyn, I said, we did our honeymoon, I went over no, we and went, how did we figure out where to go? <laughs> there was no, I don't remember. I said, I cannot remember how we figured the hotel. Cause I don't, I, she said, we probably call them travel agent. I said, well, I guess, I just don't remember. Because I'm so accustomed now when you want to go to Hilton Head, or you want to take a trip to Jersey, or what? Well, you get online and you figure it out. You don't have to go call somebody. But I guess we've got, to, I guess we got a travel agent to figure that kind of stuff out. <laughs> I don't even remember it so far removed from me now, but it's a reality that kids know more today. Now, here's the, it's, that's good. They know more, and it's bad that they know more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's bad in that they they have so many more competing ideas. You see, I didn't start getting a whole lot of competing ideas till I got into college.
1: And then I started. I didn't
0: know people thought that way. I've never heard of that, you know. But by then, having come to know Christ at 13 years of age, I was fairly well rooted in my faith. Well, the same challenges I was getting at 18, 19, and 20 today, kids are getting those same challenges at 12 and 13 and 14. And sometimes they're not as rooted in their faith because just to the chronology of their age, and so it is more challenging for them. And so we're seeing fewer students come to know Christ because there's so many more competing ideas. That I was not exposed to, so the gospel did not have exclusivity when I was growing up. But it had more of a corner on the market than it does now uh, with, with teenagers. So, so that's why we got to focus younger right there. Now, here's where we're going to get the information from. Uh, James Immerwahr wrote a book called Meet Generation Z, and you probably know this. But in case there's somebody here who's in a little bit of an older generation, that figured out. Generation Z is not the same as a millennial. They're not the same thing, okay? Millennials have grown up. Millennials are parents now, okay? Kids are not millennials. College students are not millennials, okay? They're called Generation Z. One thing that we've got going on now, I preach a message called When Generations Collide in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that a lot of people don't recognize. We're right now living amongst five generations in North America. Historically, we've always had three generations at any given time we've had the the children and the parents and the grandparents admittedly there might be a great grandparent around but now while you've got three the children the grandchildren and the parents there's five generations within those three groupings going from our most senior adults those aged 70 and older called the greatest generation who were profoundly affected by world war ii which they beat back nazism and fascism and in four years i mean it's hard to believe we've been in afghanistan now 19 years. In four years, they pushed back uh, all the forces, uh, uh, you know, uh, Nazism and all that stuff. Mind boggling. Whole different perspective on war and the way we've it managed It's another subject for another day. But they're known the greatest generation. And they grew up during the Depression. And everything they came home, we want our children to have it better. And they gave birth to a generation called Baby Boomers. That's me. Mm-hmm. My daddy was, we want you son to have it better than we have it. He made sure I did that, that I had it better than he did. And then Baby Boomers gave uh, birth to a, a, a group called. Uh, Generation X. And uh, my generation was affected by the moon landing back in 1969. And I remember my parents making me stay up and it was late at night on the East Coast and making me stay up and watch that. We watched. We said we're going to put a man on the moon. And within a matter of years, literally, uh, we put a man on the moon. So that was, you can do it. You can accomplish it. You can be anything. We really believed that. So we brought forth the church growth movement and and let's move forward in measures and success and goals. And that's just how I grew up. We gave birth to Gen X, and what they did, they were at school one day watching on live TV during school hours when this rocket took off. Anybody know what name of it was? Challenger. The Challenger. What happened? Right in front of their eyes, those astronauts were killed. And when I say every student in America, not literally, I'm thinking figuratively, but every student in America was at school that day watching this, and that had a profound impact on generations. So I'm watching men land on the moon. They're watching a failure. And so they got very cynical. And they gave birth to a group called the Millennials, and talk about the cynicism going higher. They experienced 911, 2001, right—the falling of the Twin Towers—and so uh, they were really damaged, I mean, emotionally by that. And now you've got Gen Z, and they're known by James, White. he calls them, digital natives, Mm -hmm. because they've never known life without an internet, without World Wide Web access, 24/7. Also, I'm taking a lot of this from a book, it's not a Christian book, called iGen. And if you're a student worker, you need to read this. I'd encourage you, if you're a parent, to read it. iGen by Jean Twinge. I don't, I don't remember if she's a sociologist or psychologist, but one of those disciplines. I'm going to take my outline from her, not the content, but the outline. take you good, bad, and ugly of it. And then my research, and Tom Kreitz while they stay, taking some of my stuff. You'll hear some of that today, too. But I want to tell you about one more resource not on here I didn't draw this from, but I was very impressed by that I saw at the beginning of the summer. And you'll have to go online and see if you can track it down. It's on ABC. uh, Diane Sawyer did a two-hour documentary called Screen Time. Did anybody happen to see that besides me? Did you? What did you think of that screen time? As far as it did it yeah, impress you?
1: I teach high school. I even showed them an excerpt from
0: that. Is it powerful?
1: Uh, it was very powerful.
0: Hey, you remember the what they did? They took a, a mom and took a toddler. Mm-hmm. Said, "Now go in this room with these toys and sit down." And sit "For 120 seconds, first thing you do, sit down and look at your iPhone and work on, and do not pay any attention to your child." Mm-hmm. And that was very interesting, wasn't it, to watch those children and their response to their mama not paying them any attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that changed me because I tell you, I got a granddaughter who come with us. Mm-hmm. And anytime she's in a room, I put that iPad. I never look at my iPad when she's in the room. And I remember that one child came to the room and said, "Mama, Mama, talk to me with your eyes." Mm-hmm. She's talking to her. I can't talk to me with your eyes, so just powerful. stuff. a so screen time, you need to see that as a parent and do your students well to see it too. And you're going to see some of the things I found uh, in this research. I, I didn't connect the two, I saw later what Diane Sawyer did, and it fit. But that was a great episode, wasn't it? So I want to encourage you to watch that, and thank you as a teacher too. That's where I started out in my uh, career post college before God called me to this. Now, look at this picture here. Uh, I don't know much about uh. Catholicism, in terms of polity, I, I know the basics, but this is the inauguration of the Pope in 2005. Now, how many how many phones can you find there? You see any cell phones? One. I see one in that bottom right hand corner. See any more? Yeah. I think there's one in
1: on the left hand corner. One
0: in the left hand corner, maybe? Yeah, here's one right here, right here, actually.
1: Is yeah.
0: yeah. So maybe three we found. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but eight years later, that pope resigned, which was unprecedented, unusual. Another story for another day. So inaugurated a new pope eight years later, okay? You ready? Let's go to 2013. Same scene,
1: 2013.
0: Oh <laughs> the world changed in eight years, big time. See, I didn't even grow up in that world. Our phones were in the house and on the wall on a table. It had a cord, and you might buy a longer cord so you could go to another room. You know, when you're a teenager, at best. But uh, I remember my mom got a car phone. We were so excited; she got a car phone hardwired into the car. And, and you'll love this, you missed that's 2005, the inauguration of the Pope. Okay, here's the same scene eight years later, same room. Watch this. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> So, this is where the kids today have grown up in the midst of that change. And this is why we call them digital natives. That's the norm to them. You, it's amazing. Uh, I've got grandchildren now, a one year old, a two year old, a three year old. So, we have busted through strong, okay? A one, a two, and a three. <laughs> but it's funny, at six months of age, you behold a child, and if you hold your phone, that child will get out of your arms and place their finger on the screen. Oh, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Just
0: mimicking what we do. Wow. Where did that come from? They're, they're watching what we do. And they, there's something to, that screen they will be at six, seven, eight months of age starting to do that. All right? So let's meet Generation Z and think about how we can do a better job of reaching them. They're growing up in a post-9-1 world with 24-hour news. That has an effect, guys. I'm not saying they watch the news. But when I was growing up, to get news, you had to read something. Y'all might not have heard of this.
1: <laughs> how,
0: how, how, how old are you? 18. 18. Have you ever read a newspaper? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't ever read a newspaper anymore. I've got an iPad, right? I've got a phone, so I don't read a newspaper. Well, you had to go buy a newspaper to get news, or at night wait till 6 p.m. or 10 or 11 p.m. to watch the news. And so we weren't as teenagers seeking that out. Okay. Well, today teenagers are not seeking out either, but it's on 24-7, so they're, they're getting more news. And where's the theme of news, when it bleeds, it leads there's no good news on the news you know what i'm saying it's all bad news it's all politics it's all it's all just it's depressing you know my wife and i we have to sometimes we have to take a fast from the news because i enjoy keeping up with the politics what's going on but sometimes it gets depressing sometimes they've grown up with 24 7 news instant information who has the sixth most stolen bases in major league baseball history who knows the answer to that No, but it's not. I don't know, but any of us who has this device could find the answer in 120 seconds. How would you do it? Google Google. Google it, or Siri. You could Siri. You could find it. It's amazing. Listen, there's more right here than was in my university library times tens of thousands. That's mind-boggling. I could go to my library and find that out when I was in college, and now any teenager could pull that up just like that. Yeah, I've access to that level of information. So, again, there's good things about that, by the way. There's positive things about it, but it has an effect. And and global social connections. When I was growing up, I was influenced by a very uh, small group of people, parents, grandparents, teachers. And the teachers' communities tended to reflect the communities when I was growing up. And uh, our churches and so forth. And even kids who didn't go to church were broadly affected by the church when I was growing up. But now kids have access to people across the world, and people across the world have access to children of the World Wide Web, okay? Uh, Gen Z makes up, did you know this, that Generation Z, which is broadly age 10 to 24, and depending on who you're reading, that might vary a little bit, but generally speaking, it's our middle schoolers, high schoolers, and college-age students, youngest adults, age 10 to 24. That group makes up right now of the U.S. population. That percentage will go up as many of our seniors go on to be with the Lord or into eternity, okay? So it will go up to 26, 27, 28, 29%, and then it will level off right around there. So they're going to make up nearly a third of our population at some point for a while. So they are going to have a profound impact not only on our culture, they're going to have an impact on the church. And we are beginning to see that now. And guess who's going to struggle with the most? my generation Mm -hmm. they already are they're struggling with it because uh, they're not bad it's just different and people think different sometimes and so it's tough to make that adjustment if you want to hear a good sermon on this that I'm speaking to a church would go to steveparr.net and go to the media tab go to the sermon called give me my music back Mm
1: -hmm.
0: give me my music back listen to me dress my congregation about these issues in terms of our worship and how things we should sweat and not sweat over is the bottom line Uh, Can I give you this little 30-second nugget of it I I talk to adults about? I said, listen to this. I don't even like all the music we do in our church, but it's not about that. Here's what I've discovered. I can turn to any station I want to on the drive over and the drive home. So why am I quibbling about one or two songs? I can listen to the rest of all the music I want to that I like. It's not about the music. And here's the question I get to. Is Jesus not enough? I don't go to worship because of the music one way or the other. you appreciate it or not. I go to worship because Jesus gave His life and I'm a part of the body of Christ and I'm there to worship corporately. I can go independently, but God gets blessed by our corporate worship. I'm there to serve Him and Christ needs to be enough. They live increasingly, and this is a good thing, increasingly in multiracial and multigenerational homes. A lot of the racism that I grew up with is, is among Generation Z, it's, it's not even an issue at all. It's the opposite. It's like, what are you, what are you worried about? You know, they, they just don't care about that kind of stuff. So, to their credit, I'm saying. Okay, so I, I'm hoping we're going to see more and more progress, you know, with that because of Gen Z. Again, positive, good, bad, and the ugly. Also, multi-generational homes, here's what's encouraging. A lot of these worship wars with Gen Z are not an issue either. They're more open uh, to us singing the hymns than the Gen X and millennials are in many regards. You know why? Well, they grew up with the grandparents many times. And uh, in terms of intergenerational worship, and they're going to be more open to that. They already are because they're growing up in multi-generational homes more than my generation did. Okay. And uh, this was true back in the 20s and 30s and, and back into the 1800s. And then we went away into uh, seniors and baby boomers to living in a home with you and your children. And now we're moving back and you know because of single parents and not, not complaining or anything and wreck up the home so more and more being raised by grandparents so we kind of swung back in one way to more and more uh, of Gen Z having uh, access to grandparents I don't mean going to visit I mean living with the grandparents than my generation did so that's going to help us I think in the church so there's good things about this uh, that we'll find as we go through here and then 92% are online every day you say probably 100% well it's getting there probably there's exceptions to everything, but uh, there are some parents who draw boundaries and do not allow that. Uh, One-fourth are online constantly, means when they wake up, they're, they have access to some device and they just just with them until they go to bed late at night. We're going to talk more about that later. Okay? 26% have a favorable view of socialism. Now, I'm going to say some things about politics today, but I'm not going to be political, okay? I'm not making any judgment. I'm making some objective observations. And just to give you a, an idea, when I grew up Literally, in our schools, our teachers taught against socialism, literally. And uh, it was part of the Cold War was still going on, if you know, about with us and Russia. And so, uh, also communism, which is a, another level of socialism. So, today, though, there's much more receptivity to that. And you're beginning to see that in our politics, again. So, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that's the reality. And just so you know, they are much more open to that. And so, that's affecting our politics today. Okay. All right, so let's, let's go through some characteristics. I want you to talk to me about what we do. So be ready to discuss at this point. What do we do about these things in terms of reaching the next generation? First of all, they're not in a hurry. Okay? Uh, here's, here's what I mean by that. They're intellectually advanced. Remember I told you earlier they're not smarter or higher IQ, but they know more than I knew. But they're growing up slower. Now, remember, I told you I'm not making any uh, political commentary. These are objective things. Remember when the Affordable Care Act came out uh, and they instituted insurance, and the insurance, you had to, it mandated that you cover everyone up to a certain age. What age was that, do you recall? 26. Age 26. That's very interesting. See, I never even thought about back in my day about, you know, kid got to be 17, 18, and they were gone. You know, maybe 19. But today, more and more young people are living at home. That's why. More and more young people are living at home, so they want them to be covered. So that, that was a piece of this puzzle right here. They're growing up slower. Uh, more and more young adults are living at home uh, than there were a generation ago or two generations ago. Interesting. Okay. Now, let's talk about the good, the bad, and the other. Here's the good part of this. The good part is they're less frequently going out without their parents. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Somebody used a word while while ago about parents. Blank parents. What kind of parents are they? Lawnmower. or there's another word I heard. Side. Helicopter. What, what was the word you used?
1: Sidecar.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sidecar, helicopter. I've heard bulldozer parents too. The bulldozers be like the Hollywood celebrities that just bribed everybody get kids to a certain college. They're just bulldozing through. They're more than lawnmowers, you know. <laughs> All right. Less frequently going out without their parents. And I've got three children. My youngest is at the edge of being a. Uh, well, the older Gen Z, younger millennial, she's right there at that edge, okay? And I see a lot of this in her where she hangs out with us like an old soul and chill yeah. vacation with us. With my oldest daughter, who's a millennial, she didn't want to even be seen at the mall with me. You know, Daddy, drop me off and we'll see you when we're done, you know? My youngest daughter, she's 13, she'll be holding my hand walking through the mall not thinking nothing of it. Yeah. Whole different mentality, different way of thinking. It's amazing. They less frequently go out without their parents, and parents are much more knowledgeable where they are. That's interesting because the helicopter parents, the lawnmower parents are paving the way for them. Parents are much more, to the, to the credit of the millennial parents, they're much more aware of their children, and what's going on in their lives, and where they are. Uh, so that's, again, I'm, I'm speaking in broad terms here. There's exceptions to everything, okay? Looking generationally here. Here's the bad. They're less likely to have a job as a teenager compared to teenagers in generations past. Don't confuse that though with their work ethic. Right. You're gonna find out they have a stronger work ethic than their millennial parents. It's almost like it's swinging back the other way. Mm-hmm. So, so don't be confused or offended if you're young. They have a very strong work ethic but they just don't tend to get part-time jobs like we did as teenagers. Uh, anybody got a theory on why that is? I don't think it's anything bad by the way, so don't read anything bad. But why do you think it's practically they're not as likely to have a job? School's more intense. School's more intense? I'd say sports are more intense too. <laughs> Yeah. When I play football, you know, you started a time, you entered a time, and then you didn't sit the next year. Now it's year round, you know, if you play a baseball or something or travel. All, te- yeah, all travel, stuff travel teams to and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, all the extracurriculars are going like, com- I mean, we have like competitive cheerleading yeah, here, And it's, so- and, and it's yeah. not just everything football season, it. it's year round. It's year round, yeah. right? Yeah. everything is competitive. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What you, do you want to say? And
1: if your parents are paying for everything as so many are, why get a
0: job? Yeah, that's right. So because, because, because we are in a good economy. When I say good economy, Compared to the world and compared to the depression in the other years, we're, we're in a strong economy. And, and that's not just now. We've been a strong economy for a long time. We've been a strong economy for 40, 50 years overall. We've had our ups and downs and recessions. Uh, but still, today it's very strong. The less likely to get a job team. Here's the ugly part of this, though, okay? The ugly is one in four do not have a driver's license before they graduate. That's mind-boggling to me. Now, as a baby boomer, some of you who are older, when did I get my license? <laughs> On oh, my birthday. My birthday was a weekday I was first in line to get my license. My Gen Z daughter, we had to kind of nudge her there. You know? And so what's happening now is, uh, again, one in four the graduate they don't have a driver's license. When I was growing everybody had a license. But the-
1: well, with
0: Uber and Lyft, you don't have really There's a factor Uber and Lyft, you don't need, as a matter of fact, we mean you, nobody have a license in 20 years, I don't think. Uh, seriously. No. I don't think any of us. I don't think we'll be driving. I think there'll be automated cars, and you'll just click it in, and the car'll pull up in your driveway. You'll jump in, and you'll go read or hang out, takes you where you want, and you'll you'll be in a like a a, a a subscription like you do with Hulu or anything else. You subscribe to a service, and you won't be driving. Yeah. So that's that's on the way. Uh, my car, as a matter of fact, the least last car I got, I pulled out and started driving the road. I thought, man, this pavement's uneven. You know, and don't look at it, But what happens? It's got a control, and if you drift, it pushes you back. It auto, automatically keeps you within the lane. It will parallel park itself. I mean, the, the technology's there. It's just the acceptance isn't there. Right now, they they have the ability. Right now, for cars to do that, uh, and so as people accept it, it is coming. So uh, they don't have a job. But again, don't confuse that again though with work ethic. We're going to see that's very strong. Uh, and we're going to see some things about this, about driving in a moment. What, anything we need to do here, in as, as what you do as a leader, anything you need to respond to? Or, or you think we need to, as a church to be aware of, we need to be doing or not doing?
1: We need to give them more opportunities to lead in different ways. Because, you know, even though they are intellectually there, a lot of the times they're not put in those leadership positions, especially in the church. <laughs> um, because we do have so many helicopter parents and yeah. stuff like that. Um, they don't have an opportunity
0: to lead. I think the way they need to. Yeah, um. yeah, hey, that's good. good. How does that affect your Wednesday night Bible study? If mom and daddy's not there, they're not there, that's right? Because right? they're not, not. you know, they used to drive, and and, uh, and now if they do drive, when I was driving, I'd go pick up all my buddies. That's against the, the law now. you you got to drive a certain amount of time before you can get out of your car. And parents are being more more conscious or not as likely to I made a
1: huge mistake of encouraging the youth when we first of all started to get jobs. I thought it was a good thing. You know, there was a lot of people that were just, they weren't doing anything. So said, well, you should get a job. I had a lot of them get jobs. and But I it was kind of bad because then they were missing Wednesday nights.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was good to work. Yeah, I you asked. myself more. in the foot. Yeah. yeah,
1: But they did get jobs and they... You
0: that's right. All right, let's, let, let's move. Internet, this is a no-brainer. Time online is growing. We're we'll going to talk about that for a second. Here's the good part of this. They have access to information at their fingertips, which dwarfs what former generations had in university libraries. We talked about it a while ago. That's a good thing, generally speaking, okay? Access to information. The bad is teenagers today spend an average of six hours a day online, and that's probably low, if anything, eighty seven percent are on social media every day. That could be good. that could not be good. no just because a kid says he has thirty friends that doesn't mean he has thirty friends may mean they've got thirty followers or thirty people on their you know social media account we're going to see there's a real issue here, but uh, they are certainly my uh, again I see my youngest daughter, okay my wife and I are watching TV she's right now she's a uh, post uh, she's a bachelor 's degree grad okay. Working on a master's degree. so will live with us while she does that. So we will be watching TV. So she wants to do the right thing to spend time with family. And I'm not complaining, I'm just observing what's going on here. She'll come in and sit down to be with mom and dad while we're watching her program. Anybody want to guess what she's doing while we're watching the program? <laughs> watch on. Earphones on, watching Hulu or Netflix, mm-hmm. watching her program she wants to watch. She mm-hmm. doesn't watch network TV like we do. And I'm not complaining. By the way, I I appreciate her coming down and and being in the same room where a lot of kids would just go and isolate themselves. And to her credit, so I mean, that's a a positive reflection on her. It don't bother me. She's watching what she wants. I'd rather be in the room with us, though, than not, you know, if we're in the same family, you know, at the same time. But uh, this is really having an impact. And then uh, here's the ugly part of this. They're reading fewer books. And that really offends me as an author, by the way. (laughs) Okay, they're reading fewer books because uh, that's not my only book, I've got several. Uh, there are three times fewer have read a book unrelated to their schoolwork than a teen did in 1976. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain said the man, or woman, who does not read good books has no advantage over the person who cannot read. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you don't read books, you're functionally illiterate. It's a waste of uh, your education. Uh, now, I'm not saying they don't read, they don't read books. Well, they're reading, they're reading on their devices but there's value to books when you take a sequential subject over the course of several hours and you really let it saturate into your thinking. It affects you differently than just reading articles and posts online. It's not, it's not apples and apples, it's apples and oranges. So, to that point, okay, your question then, how can we help? Okay. Well, I, I think kids, are, they're losing so much content when not reading. Um, because I mean, I'm not a reader I, I, I have some self-discipline I have to force myself to read yeah it. and it's fine but be my wife is a reader so she wants to hear I was in a class with Mr. Steve Parr he had on a red shirt khaki shorts description age how many wife kids I just want to know I was in the room with Steve Parr right gotcha so, all right let's go what do you talk about yeah and for the, for that generation the reason they're so inclined to read the article is because it doesn't have the details and it doesn't have the depth it has Quick facts, and then I read an article and move on. And for those of you who are parents, I just want to be very clear there is a definitive correlation between students who are readers and uh, those who are not readers and their likelihood to succeed in life. Bottom line, just talking about everything and the way they handle the finances, uh, their relationships, and so forth. It does have an effect. I I, I was, uh, you heard Jamie Reduce's testimony perhaps this morning. I had to take special reading classes when I was a kid. And uh, it's amazing what God did, you know, in my life. But, you know, in the first three years, a kid learns to read. And after that, you read to learn. And that's why we've got to really be adamant in our churches, helping kids learn to read. Not just leaving it to the school, but we're helping them set up a life of, Why well, say success, I don't want to overstate that, but by helping kids learn to read. So there's one way we help. Are we mentoring helping kids in our, not just our church, in our communities, learn to read when they're young?
1: Um, I know, like, Audible and podcasts are like huge among um, the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. Like I probably, I think probably over half of the books I read now are on Audible.
0: I can make an, an argument that Audible, Audible is a legitimate substitute for reading because it is a book where you're taking a subject and you're really you know diving deep and absorbing it. But is, is yeah. it, uh,
1: does this take into account um, right. distance listening?
0: I don't. know. That's a good question. I, I don't know the answer. That's a good question. It's a legitimate question. But I'm just saying, I personally, I would equate listen to an audible books, same as reading the book. That's just Apple's, you know, right. Apple's air. But no. versus not digging into books, which are, are more in depth, look into a subject matter. Okay.
1: There was an article I can't. That's why I can't quote where it was from. But all of the presidents and CEOs of all the top of them, um, executives, like Google, Facebook, all that have kids, refuse to allow their children to have any technology. They go to schools mm-hmm. and work books
0: only in technology. Management. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Any of you familiar with Dave Ramsey? Anybody familiar talk about financial thing? They did a major national study on millionaires, and one thing they found out was that well over 90% of millionaires are, well, when I say self-made, they didn't inherit it. Nobody gave it to them. They worked and got it. And they talked about all the characteristics, qualities of those who made a million dollars plus of net worth, and they're just normal neighbors. They're not rich and famous. It's your neighbors. One of the common qualities of them was they are avid. Readers. It, it affects you in a lot of ways. I've been having a reader. I'm thankful. And I don't know how I got to it. But Lord, I didn't read once in school. It was really my post-college life when I just started reading. And, and I always read now. always. Or right, in person, no more. This is uh, you're, you're seeing this one. Uh, social interaction and people skills are in steep decline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now this is where you can help. Uh, in your ministry. Social skills. And not just assuming it. Uh, here's the good part they party one third less than gen x and when i say party i mean bad party you know what i mean by bad party you know where things are happening on the be happening the drugs and alcohol thing they 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 go to that kind of thing that goes back to the helicopter parents and you know watching over them and so forth safety consciousness of their parents but also uh there's a little bit of fear in them so they they're not doing those things so those of you student pastors i probably dealt with this a lot more than you did in terms of the problems in my group. Not to say you don't have kids struggle with alcohol, drugs, right. used to tobacco at young age, those type of things, but I'm saying it's, there's less happening now even than a generation ago. And here's the bad part. Their gathering with friends daily is cut in half since 2000. They're not hanging out. We used to worry about kids hanging out at the mall. Now we say, go to the mall. <laughs> Get out and do something. Again, my, my daughter's a great example. My, just, Get out and do something. Go do something. It's all, you know, instead of being... In the home. And, and you know, you want, a, you want a good balance there is the bottom line, okay? Online friendships are more common than personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Here's where the church can make a difference, by the way. And I want you to think about how we do that. Here's the ugly before we do that. Spending more time alone yeah. results in more loneliness. Depression. And if you spend time alone and get lonely, you're less happy. If you're less happy, there's an increased incidence of depression which leads to perhaps clinical depression, more screen time, and we saw this with the dying Report. I, I wrote this before the dying Report, and we saw this, didn't we? More screen time directly correlates to clinical depression. Let me show you another way. I take kid A, and I don't want to be distraught when I say kid, teenager, young adult. I take one that spends nine hours a day with screen time. I take one that parents have some boundaries and they get a maximum of 90 minutes a day of screen time. I'm not endorsing anything, I'm just saying, 90 minutes and eight hours. The woman with eight hours is more, much more susceptible to clinical depression because they're spending more time alone. They're more inclined to so, loneliness. So as parents, I want you to know, first of all, you've got to work on screen time. Secondly, what are we doing to help parents with this issue? Some of them are oblivious, just so you know this. okay? They just grew up. They just don't think anything about it. All right. Now, now what can we do? How can we help on this one here? This is one the church can really engage.
1: Having, having more
0: events for your team day. events for teens mm-hmm. man here's here's a promotion for your small groups right here mm-hmm. to your parents mm-hmm. and to the parents in your community mm-hmm. even in church you say hey listen your kids when they come to this group uh, they're you know they're gonna be healthier, is the bottom line our, our church is healthy for your child mm-hmm. because they're developing relationships we're gonna put them in relationship with not only other teens we're gonna put them in relationship with adults who will Promote values that you'd appreciate. They'll say the same thing you would say if they listened to you. In other words, your teacher to listen to you. So, and, and you need that. So, what else?
1: Yes. I, this is interesting. Um, I just came into my my new church, and uh, the decision was made before I got here. I'm not really a fan of it, but they had basically cut. They don't really do anything on Wednesday during the summer. Okay. Not not, but um, but the youth team and I, we were like, okay, we. Can't do this with youth, because like, they get bored and they. But we were kind of thinking more in our generation. Uh, well, you, you, they get bored. And they're gonna go out and get into trouble. But it sounds like it's almost an opposite problem. Yeah. Actually, which I mean, we did no. the right thing either way. But it's.
0: No, when I was bored, so there wasn't nothing to do. You know, today now I got my iPad. There's so many things on you know, the iPad or on my computer, or a video game platform. So much more that you can do. So that's it's the opposite problem it is. But uh, uh to your point, in the summer, I mean. I, as a student pastor, we'd ramp up ministry in the summer, uh, not ramp it down. I see a lot of church ramping it down. And again, it's, it's not about the ministry, it is. It's about the relationships we're helping, because we're helping students have a healthier life. And between me and you, I, I want to tell you a student who's living a healthier life is more likely to come to know Christ, honestly, than someone who's disconnected and struggling, okay, and isolated. So you can make a difference here, okay? Uh, number four is this they're insecure. Mental health issues are increasing among our teenagers, okay? On the good, bad and the ugly, of all the 10 things I'm not tell you get all 10 today, and I'll tell you how to get all of it if I don't I couldn't find anything good. so I had to just stretch it on this one, okay? Here's why I stretched it. If you will make any argument for good, nothing good unless you argue increased opportunity for ministry. I'm reminded of the two guys in Alaska, and there's a major wolf invasion problem. So the government offers $300 for every wolf skin, wolf hide, in other words, to bring them in. So two guys go out, and they, in the first day, kill several. Man, they're smoking. They're going to come over there with a lot of money. They lay down to camp that night and wake up at 3 in the morning with this low growl, and they open their eyes, and he looks around and sees about 200 sets of eyes surrounding them, closing in. He turns to his friend and says, Hey, Wilbur, wake up. We're about to get rich. <laughs> That's funny. Y'all have to think about that, okay? They're about to be eating up, but these guys got good attitude. They're about to get rich here. I see this, I say, man, it's, it's horrible out there, you know, with all the mental health uh, challenges. And Well, no, this is an opportunity for us, for the gospel. There's more lost teenagers than there ever have been before. So do you, you sit around and growl about it? I say, wow, we've got better opportunities than ever in the to see teens and students come to know Christ. So it's just a matter of how you look at it. Okay, and sorry for the flat falling... Joke there. Okay. Smartphones have decreased sleep time. Now, I've got an educator here. Can you help us on why that matters? Mm-hmm. Oh. Why does it matter how much a child sleeps?
1: Huh?
0: They sleep in class. That's right. They, they can sleep in class. They're not they le- sleep or or there are, if their eyes aren't shut, they're mentally checked out. They're not engaged. Right? Now, you, all of you know, you've got, you know, you've got enough knowledge of, of, of uh, uh, human development that does a teenager require more or less sleep than a
1: coldly mature
0: adult? Oh yeah, that's why a teenager sleeps till 10, 11, 12 yeah, on a Saturday morning. They're, that's okay, they're supposed to be doing that. They, they need that, they need extra sleep. Uh, so we gotta understand, even as parents, they're gonna need more sleep, and they are gonna sleep later, and, and uh, we gotta have boundaries about everything. You know, I understand that, but it's gotta got give a little bit here. They do require more sleep. So why are they not sleeping?
1: Because
0: so they're, the they're in their room, on the phone. So I'd say to you, any, any parents of teenagers here, why in the world would you let your child go to a room with a phone? I would never do that. Uh, uh, you know, you, The phone, by the way, well, you know, they're going to say, well, this my phone. When did you pay that bill? Said, no, it's my phone. I'll let you borrow it every day in case you need something. That's not your phone. If you want a phone, you can go buy one. This is not yours. It's mine. It's like the parent who told me one time, ever since my son got a car, we can't get him to church. I said, "Well, where did he get the car?" <laughs> they said, "We bought it." No, they said, "We bought it." Oh. I said, "Well, my cars go to church every Sunday." <laughs> <laughs> they do to this
1: day. <laughs>
0: you, you got everyone in my cars in some church parking lot every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now your car, you take your car wherever. You my car,
1: <laughs> you go
0: gonna be in a church parking lot. I'm serious. My dollars. Listen, even into college. It was not a choice. Now, I gave some flexibility about where to go sometimes and Mm -hmm. schedules, but not if to go. Mm -hmm. And I always taught my kids, as long as I pay, I get a say, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, what's happening is, are we helping parents with this? Mm -hmm. See, the thing is, parents do need help. They want help, and we need to be providing, we need to do this with our parents and show them things like this. Well, I hadn't thought about that. So uh, there's a lot of stuff going on after bedtime, so to speak, you know what I'm saying, with those phones, Mm -hmm. Okay alright here's the ugly 1 in 19's why wow, here's the numbers suffer clinical depression I'm not talking about they feel bad I'm not talking about they had a bad hair day I'm talking about some serious depression so do you think that the suicide rate is
1: higher?
0: yes rising there it is it's going up That's, and that breaks my heart does it yours that mm-hmm. more taking their lives than previous generations Okay. I'm going to move because of second time let me move faster but you can interrupt me seriously raise your hand but let me go through here their irreligious. Religious affiliation continues to erode. Now you're going to see why you're having a tougher time as a student pastor than I did. The good is openness to the gospel is still higher among the younger, so there's, you've got more of a field to draw from. Here's the bad. One-third of our Gen Z have no religious affiliation, and one-fourth claim they're atheist. I didn't say they were, so they claim that. Now how does that compare? In the United States of America, it's about 11% of people would claim to be an atheist. Among this generation, it's one in four, 25%. That's mind-boggling. Again, it goes back to the competing ideas and the doubts that are sown and uh, a lot of other issues, so that's really troubling. So, when I was doing my ministry earlier and when I was growing up, uh, even kids who didn't go to church were not antagonistic. As a matter of fact, if they went to church, they'd lie and tell you, yeah, we're Methodist. (laughs) Because they they were ashamed to admit they weren't connected to some Christian denomination, honestly. Uh, Even the craziest, wildest kids when I was growing up would have some type of affiliation, but today they don't belong anything and don't care. So that makes it more of a challenge for you, certainly. They tend to see Christians, wow, as anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical. They they see us, they say, they say, you always tell us what you're against, you never we, don't, we just don't know what you're for. And then it's true. They're, we're known for what we're against instead of what we're for. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a one-hour discussion, this ugly part here. And I don't have time for a one-hour discussion, but you need to have it. How do we maintain strong convictions without compromising? I wish I could give you a pill to do it. It's not easy. But uh You're gonna see later. There, you know, with with the gender issues and the homosexuality, they have a much more. I'm gonna use the word liberal just to describe liberal, lenient attitude than we would have coming up. And the problem is, it gets to an anti-biblical place. And uh, I had a discussion with a a young adult, and the question they asked me, and I'm gonna try to do this real quick, said, "Why do you hate gays?" What? What? What is? Where did that come from? I've never, I've never treated uh, any person that I knew to be homosexual. I've never treated them any way other than in a, a loving, friendly way, uh, and I'd have a break bread with them anytime, and they're welcome in my home. And I don't base things. Mean, I I try to love people, be a good neighbor, be a good person. I don't. Just, but I do believe that marriage, according to Genesis and according to Jesus, is man and a woman. I don't mean I hate anybody. I just got a strong conviction about something. You know what I mean? So I don't hate anybody. So, but how, how do we do this uh, when we they tend to see Christians? So we got to wrestle with those issues about the the gender issues. Uh,
1: yeah. So
0: what do you want to say about that?
1: Because you know, in the high school is random. Yeah. I don't believe all those students are gay. I believe they've been exposed to so much and that they tried.
0: You know, know just you, you made a very astute observation. When you survey this generation, uh, about 45—I heard the number that, probably more than that, so around 45% say they are bisexual, or you know, you know, words they can give room. Interestingly, if you go back generations past, it, the words always been people are born that way, and again, I'm not making generalizations. Born that way, and that kind of contradicts. That if they're born that way, it would still be with the one to three percent that would not have changed. And the fact that now percent are saying that shows you that people can be recruited into that lifestyle. Uh, Even if you make the argument, people are born that way. okay.
1: I had an interesting thought the other day. I was talking to a brother at work about it, and it was uh, just going on from what the lady behind me was saying. What if someone is uh, claiming to be gay, and uh, they're posting things on the Internet, and then they grow up? uh, These are adolescents. They grow up into adulthood. They have a history
0: of being gay. It can really hurt their... They may not have been gay to begin with. It can cause a lot of pain in their life down the road. Absolutely. Let me tell you, uh, my and my and I got this quick. My interactions with people, whether it's homosexuality or any other issue that the Bible would name as sinful, my aim is not to get them to stop doing that per se. Not that I want them to do that. My aim is to have such a relationship with them that they know that I unconditionally love them, and that they hear me even if they don't agree giving place to the Gospel, you will never shun someone into the faith.
1: Right.
0: Did you hear that? You'll never shun someone into the faith. You take all other world religions, and many of them, if you do not receive that religion, you are shunned by your community. We're separated. We don't shun people. We unconditionally love people. And my aim is with a brother or sister who's committing any sin or living a lifestyle, my aim is to get you to do this love Jesus, love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the number one commandment. If I can pull you into loving God with all you got, those things will be taken care of. Okay. So, that's my little diatribe on that. Alright, number next. Six. Got 13 minutes to do five of these. How are we doing? They're very safety conscious, but not very civic minded. Okay. Safety conscious. Not civic minded. Because of the helicopter parents. Okay, they wear. This is good, they wear the seat belts. I didn't wear mine. Nobody told me to. Okay, they wear seat belts. They won't let you not wear a seat. seatbelt. Daddy, wear your seatbelt. Okay. I remember my kids. Daddy, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. I always tell my daddy, speed up. Speed up. Speed up. They drive safer. They're better drivers. Although they get their license later, they're better drivers than us. They get less tickets. Younger people tend to be more accidents than we are, but they get in fewer accidents than their predecessors did. They're driving safer. That's good. Yeah. They're less likely to binge drink or fight. We could take the one on fight and talk about men need to be men and things, but there's some <laughs> pros and cons there. But, I, but I'm just telling you, observationally, they're less likely to do those things than we were generations preceding them. Half as likely to get in a car with someone drinking as a teen would have in 1991. That's a good thing. They don't need to be getting in a car with somebody who's high, drugs, alcohol. So there's some good stuff there. Here's the bad, Okay. They say that helping others is important, but they're less charitable in their giving. They say, "Well, teens have never been charitable." We're not comparing them to adults; we're comparing them to others when they were teens. They got no
1: jobs.
0: Yeah, that's right. They don't. That's <laughs> right. They don't. That's a factor. That, they don't work as teens. That's likely. But we're comparing their giving to teenagers. So, you understand know what I'm saying? We're not comparing their giving to adults' giving. We're comparing their giving to giving 15 years ago among teenagers. They're giving less, charitably. What is that? What's the implication there for the church?
1: It means they'll have problems paying their bills.
0: Well, that's, but how about for the church? No they tithe. would too. What, well, I'm sorry? They would too. I mean, people tithe or they don't. Die, oh, there you go. Fewer resources. Right. What are we going to do? You know, if the average tithe now is 3%, not 10%, what's going to be when it's 1%? What's that going to mean for our churches? <laughs>
1: how
0: many of you guys are full time ministry? Raise your hand. Enjoy it while you can, okay? Cause it's gonna, <laughs> I'm telling you, if, the, I'm telling you if, 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 this, if they get to be adults and that doesn't change, it's going to affect if you're fewer, fewer full-time vocational pastors and ministers. okay? And we're, we're beginning to see some roots of that even now. Here's the ugly piece of this, okay? They believe in safe spaces. And again, I, I told you, while well, like, I'm not making any political commentary, today. I'm just giving you objective observation. They believe they should be shielded from ideas that are, in their mind, offensive. And that's complete upside down of when I was coming up, where especially as you went to the university, to the campus, the aim was the sharing of ideas, the competition of ideas, and let the best ideas win out. And now you see on our college campuses, they're shutting down speech that the majority of that college would not uh, be in tune with. And uh, I, I could get political here if, I, if, I, if, I get, if I'm not careful. And that's not my intent at all. But there's something underlying what's going on here. With What's meant by safe spaces, by the way, on a college campus. What does that mean? That means that it should be free from any dissenting political speech. Listen to that. Dissenting. They're not saying we don't want any political speech. They don't want any political speech that doesn't line up with their way of thinking. That's what the safe
1: space
0: is. Anything but Christian. Yeah. And, and, and religious speech, too. That's not healthy uh, for, for them. And... Uh, the anti-fascists out there are some of the biggest fascists in my lifetime and i won't name the names of any groups that are protesting today but anyway uh,
1: the debate has went out window. The, there's no longer a respectful debate right anywhere
0: they just shut you down if they and that that, that effect said so we're trying to again have unconditional love but stand by our
1: convictions well they don't want to hear your convictions well I, one of my best friends in high school is an atheist we can have a stringent heated debate but we love each other afterwards. That's
0: right. That's right. Okay. okay, income and security have differing attitudes towards work than their recent predecessors. Listen up, it's not all bad. Here's the good part the decline in work ethic is reversing for the millennials. And millennials, again, we're. Uh, by the way, if you're in here, you're, you're a millennial, that would not apply to you. Millennials or Christians have strong work ethics. But when you look at the whole generation, it is a, admittedly, and if you're in management like I am, a, Christian, a nonprofit, You can definitely see a difference in the work ethic of that generation on the whole than in previous generations. But anyway, while their parents are known for a very poor work ethic, which has affected the church, they're really anxious to get into the market as adults. Now, watch this. I said earlier they're not as likely to work as teenagers. We described that earlier, maybe the ball and extracurriculars. But they are anxious to get into the job market as adults. As a matter of fact, uh, let me see if this one covers it. Uh, the ugly is they're less likely to want to own a business because they're risk-averse. Very safety conscious. Now, when, I was my, when my oldest daughters went to college, we anticipated it would take them about five years to get a degree. The ideal, I got mine in four years because I knew which college I wanted to go to. I knew what I wanted to major in. I went to that college. I did that major. So boom, I pushed it out in four years. But if you decide you're going to change your major or if you change colleges, you're ordinarily going to add a year to your experience. So the average was five years. Did you know with Gen Z, the average is no longer five years. Anybody know what it is now? Eight. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's not eight. It's getting better. Really? You said it's getting better.
1: It's three. It's three. Because they can
0: start in high school. Bingo. My Gen Z daughter graduated in three years. You know why? She had a year under her belt before she graduated high school. And there's an economy to this, too. Colleges now with the advent of online learning. And my daughter right now is a master's degree student at University of Houston, Texas. I was in Houston, Texas speaking last weekend. They're going to Georgia. I was the keynote speaker there for Texas. And so I was there in Houston, Texas. My daughter is a student at University of Houston. She was not there. She's never set foot in Texas in her life. She lives in Georgia going to University of Texas, getting an accredited master's degree. How is that possible? Because of the World Wide Web. So there's some good things there. Okay but they're graduating in three years because the colleges know uh, if a kid's anxious to go, they'll take your money. You know what I mean? They'll take your tuition. Whether you pass or fail, they don't care. They want you in the loop. So they're getting kids started as juniors and seniors taking some classes. And a lot of these students, they're not working jobs and they want to get into the workforce. So they're coming into their first year of college as a sophomore, having completed almost a year's worth of work before they even get there. So that's very intriguing. Okay, and that may be affecting us also to some degree about attendance on weeks and, and things. Some of them are going to school and taking a college class or two, uh, in lieu of or in addition to that. All right, next thing here in the last six minutes, three to go in six minutes. I got two minutes each here. Okay, indefinite views on sexuality. So I'll put all these up. Okay, they are having less sex as teens and with fewer partners. Now here I come from the guy saying true love waits and. We're having to work on this for you. I'm not saying you don't need to address that issue, but teenagers today are having less sex, fewer partners, and less likely. The pregnancy rate is going down among teenagers. That is okay. That's not a bad thing, is it? Well, that's what we've been trying to work on for the last all my life. Well, it's happening, and not that we did it. The question is, why is this happening? They're even more likely to embrace living together before marriage. Well, that you know, well, that's not biblical. But here's the, key, here's the key, or killer right here, ugly. Pornography is more accessible, and I don't have to explain that to you. <laughs> but ironically, it's not increasing participation in premarital experiences among teenagers. Why is that? I'm not going to dive into this, but it's could it be they're very safety conscious because of the way they're growing up? Remember, wearing seatbelts and safer drivers? Wearing helmets, whereas I didn't wear helmets didn't wear seatbelts. Could it be uh, risk-averse? Remember, they don't want to own businesses. They don't want to take risk. They don't, don't binge drink. Not, don't take, and they said that is risky, or could it be they're replacing uh, sexual relationships, pornography, and, and self gratification? Just getting PG on that. Okay, I'm not telling you that sort of thing. It's probably a combination of those things. There may be some other things, but it's kind of it's just interesting right there. Okay, what
1: if they're partying less and they're less social.
0: That's part of it too. They're more isolated. There you go. It's like, that's right. It's like a domino effect, isn't it? That's right. Some of these things fit together, don't they? Say, oh, well, that's why. That makes this happen. That makes that happen. So some of these things do tie back together. All right?
1: All the don't have people skills. you
0: right. There you go. Less people skills. If I were you and I were a student pastor right now, and I had 11 teenagers, I'd say, I want three of you, and I only take three of you, to be in a 12-week leadership group with me and I'm gonna give you some very special benefits that you are including. You'll get one fourth price off your account next year. D now will be free for you this year. And I'm gonna take you out for a state dinner when we get done, it'll be on me. I can only take three of you. Six of I'm only take three of you. And one of the things I have those three students do is read a book by Dale Carnegie, not a Christian book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. People skills. Simple people skills. A lot of other things I would do there too, if you want to talk about that, but I'm just telling you. We've got to be pouring in the lives of teenagers. They're inclusive. They're increasingly tolerant of other lifestyles. That's not all bad. You know what I'm saying? It's bad when we get to the point of compromise. Okay? Uh, You know, if you think about it in terms of loving people unconditionally, that's good. If it's in terms of anything goes, that's bad. Okay? So there's kind of two sides to that. The good is they are much more racially and intergenerationally inclusive. That is a good thing. We described that during the introduction so i don't have to spend any time there the bad is they support the support for gender fluidity is growing to the point we just had a presidential candidate say there's three genders i've never known there was more than two but i just found out there's three and but they're they're much more open about the fluidity and the the restroom issues has been a thing the last five eight years especially increasing issue about which bathrooms can people use and then uh, Somebody comes into your youth group and it's a, it's, it's a guy, obviously, and say, No, it, her name's Cindy. She wants to be called. How do you deal with that? We can't resolve that here. Don't open the can of worms. But I'm just saying, you're going to have to deal with it. It's, it's out there. okay? And your students are much more uh, tolerant of that than probably we are. Uh, so here's the ugly Attitudes towards same sex relationships and marriage have totally reversed in our country, no doubt about it. Uh, the tide has turned. Uh, the Bible has it, but the, the cultural tide has. All right, last thing here, number ten. Have you noticed
1: that people don't even get divorced anymore? Yeah, so people don't get married.
0: Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> it used fact. Used to be when, I was,
1: when we first got married, all our friends were getting divorced.
0: Yeah, but now no one gets. Divorced. They don't get kind of married. That's <laughs> right. That's right. I don't getting right.
1: divorced in a right.
0: year. Yeah, I'm going to show you this one now. I'll, I'll try not to dive here. Uh, in 2016, they supported Trump and Sanders. Now, I guess not a political commentary. What do Trump and Sanders have in common? Both have blonde hair? Well, maybe so, but that's not it. Yeah. There's something very important they have in common. They're not really Republican or Democrat. No. Uh, neither were part they, they were both outsiders who ran on the ticket of those parties. They're independent. And what I mean by Gen Z, they're very independent. They're thinking that may be a good thing. They're not beholden to the political parties like we tend to be. Okay? They're more tolerant until it comes to being exposed to ideas they disagree with that's the bad, the ugly watch this in 1994 21% of Democrats and 17% of Republicans had an unfavorable view of the other party but watch this and you probably seeing this in the news and then things going on today 58% of Democrats and 55% of Republicans have a hatred for the opposing party mm-hmm. wow see I didn't grow up with that I grew up you know you're this I'm that but ah, whatever
1: We're still
0: we, don't, we don't we disagree but whatever mm-hmm. you know vote your conscience I, I respect that mm-hmm. you know everybody has a right their opinion Today, everybody does have ever a right to their opinion. According to this gener, according to that youngest generation, that's scary. Okay. All right. So. Last thing here, I'm just going to put this up, and I've got 43 seconds left here. So I'll just read it without any commentary. How do we respond? Become a cultural missionary. Thank you for being here. One of the best ways to minister to this generation is to understand them better. Okay. I'm not here to critique them, by the way. In terms of being critical, again, there's good here. It's good, and there's bad and there's ugly. And a lot of good things are coming out of this. Engage, for those of you who are older, engage and include younger people in leadership. Bring them to the table. When you have a committee, bring 20s and 30s and 40s, of every age group there. Prioritize children's ministry. It's no longer, you've got to get to them earlier. Uh, Jason Britt, who I don't know if he's here speaking this week, uh, Pastor Bethlehem Church, he says, the youth ministry of the 80s and 90s is a children's ministry today. You've got to really get to it sooner be purposeful in leader development and discipleship. And that's biblical, certainly. Okay. Now, I've got... I'm 12 seconds past. Okay, mm-hmm. time is up. I'll hang around and talk, go know about why they stay, talk more about this. Uh, now you know who I am, if I can never help you in any way. I do serve with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And I'm the chief strategist there. I'm on the executive leaders. If you ever need somebody from the Mission Board you don't know what to do, who to call, you call me. And I'll make sure you get the help that you need from the Mission Board. Thank you. Hope you'll follow my ministry going forward and I can help you. You let me know in any way.
1: God bless. Take care, of you guys.